the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, nutrition, and fitness related. I'm your host, Brandon, with my co-host, Joe. Hello. Been a while. Excited to be back in the studio. I am. Feels good. What are we talking about today? You recommended I check out this documentary, and I'm usually weary of these things. They're real hit and miss, aren't they? They are. But this one was uh, dead spot on. Just uh, fantastic information. I felt like if I were to condense like eight of my presentations into a documentary, that was it. Yeah. So the documentary we're talking about here is Fat Fiction. And Dr. Mark Hyman is, I think, the uh, front runner of the film. Yep. Director Jennifer Eisenhart. It's uh, it's available on Prime Video right now. If you've got Prime Video, you can watch it there. I actually tried YouTube, and I paid two ninety nine through YouTube and oh, watched yeah. it. Well, there's a way to do it, too. It was so easy. I didn't have to create a password or nothing. <laughs> kind of the timeline is, for, or the, the log line is, forget everything you've been told about fat. That's right. <laughs> um, so a lot of today's episode, we're going to go over some of the information we did in our fat, the Big Fat Truth episode. And we can reference that in the show notes. A lot of the people I followed over the years, in addition to the science backing it and the studies and things like that, all referenced there in one package. Mark Hyman's got some great books. I really like What the Heck Should I Eat? Um, And a lot of what he referenced is also in a very good book by Max Lugavir and Paul Gruel called Genius Foods. And then also Dr. Catherine Shanahan, She's a big front runner in this movement to get people to understand the dangers of saturated fat. She's got a book called Deep Nutrition. But, and then if you go to the back of all these books and stuff, you could see all the references and the studies and things like that. Some of those were brought up in the film, as well as a little bit more background information on a scientist named Ansel Keys. Who, yeah, and we talked about him before. And I thought that made such an interesting jump off point for a documentary because it has the thing that you want a documentary to have, which is... What if everything you knew about this was wrong? And it really goes into the the history of the U.S. dietary guidelines and questions the decades of the dietary advice that, that they had given and talked a little bit about why, like the political side of it, the human side of it, and how that kind of stuff came about. And we hit on that in a past episode, but it, was, it made for a good documentary. Interesting. Yeah, it was solid. So one of the opening statements they make in the film is instead of the food pyramid, it should be the food tombstone. <laughs> and some of the supporting evidence is because once they made those recommendations with 11 servings, think about that, 11 servings of breads and carbohydrates and grains. And I remember some of the footage, they actually had actual footage of the, the dietary experts in front of uh, some kind of panel, maybe it was Congress, Congress or, or something, something, and they were talking and their recommendations in they had some of the things that they had said, and there was a point in the documentary was like, they were all just a little enraged, like we were saying, like, how in the heck did you, like, that's the opposite of what anybody, <laughs> we were like, probably shouldn't eat a lot of that, and then it's, you should eat all that. <laughs> yeah, because pre-50s, it was common knowledge that carbs and all those things add weight to your stomach and things like that, and then they went, no, it's saturated fats, like, what the heck? So let's unpack some of that. First, some of, some of the opening statistics, and uh, I know statistics can be used in different ways, but I think these are pretty cut and dry. Their obesity has doubled in children over the past 20 years. 75% of Americans are now overweight or obese. 
And one in two are suspected to have type 2 or pre-diabetes in the course of their lifetime. That's 50% of us. And some of the problems uh, that come about from diabetes, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, and even blindness. Um, Now, blindness may strike somebody as a little off the wall, but I actually had a client who was drinking uh, at least a gallon of milk a day. He was 13 years old, only 13 He was over 200 pounds, and he'd actually had cataracts and started losing vision at age 13, and he was also type 2 diabetic. Now, a gallon of milk has some ungodly amount of sugar. It's well over 100 grams, maybe 150, 250, or even more than that. And we know that sugar attacks healthy proteins and cells and could lead to that. Now, what really shocked me is they said that even three-year-olds are now getting type 2. That's insane. Uh, Three-year-old children with type 2 diabetes due to dietary intake. Wow, that's crazy. They're still recommending saturated fat as the primary (laughs) concern, but 75% of the recommended plate of food is carbohydrate. (laughs) I don't think it's working, Joe. Yeah. I'm excited when documentaries give hope. This is what we're doing to change it. And there was a little bit of that kind of towards the end. But it seems we do this show. I've heard guests that you've had on and and documentaries like this. And there seems to be little or no traction to doing anything about it. It seems like the experts disagree that it's the right (laughs) thing to do. And they talked a little bit about the American Heart Association. Association. and. And getting them to change their recommendations would be a big deal. And they talked a little bit about the progress towards getting them to, to change their recommendations, but yeah. it didn't exactly end on And now we're not doing that anymore. Now, there was one glimmer, the ADA, I guess it was the American Dietary Association. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, they had actually finally took cholesterol off their bad list, but still are recommending their main course of action to be cutting out saturated fats, even still. And then the American Heart Association, I thought this was really interesting. They've received $28 million in one year from donations from drug companies. <laughs> so It's hard not to go all conspiracy theory with stuff like that. I feel like they may be slightly incentivized <laughs> to not promote these lower carb diets and things like that. So keep that in mind. (laughs) These dogmatic principles that were laid out in the 50s by Ansel Keys and and some of these studies were basically that we want to replace saturated fats, uh, which would be eggs, meat, healthy oils like coconut oil, olive oil, with processed, highly toxic vegetable oil type, margarine type oils. And I believe Crisco, actually, when they were coming about, they'd helped spur on the growth of the American Heart Association. So Crisco is a vegetable spread-based oil as well. And they almost single-handedly went from them being a dying organization to spreading hundreds of chapters all over the place. Yeah. So I think that's part of it as well. Could we go back to the, the funding you were talking about? How much money did the American Heart Association receive from drug companies? $28 million. Okay, so I'm on their website. I'm looking at their financial thing. In it's a little higher than what the movie said, but maybe that's this is a different year. Yeah. I think this is 2018. So this is a little higher here, but then they have it broken down. They've got um, about 33 million coming from pharmaceutical, biotech, medical device, and health insurance companies. Then another 146 million, which is much more, from other corporate support. And then they have to list it with the other corporate support on their website. So here's the other corporate support. Ready? 3M. Abbott, 
<laughs> the biggest <laughs> drug corporations, Bayer, Bayer Healthcare, <laughs> Pfizer, and there's just dozens yeah. of drug companies. And so really they said it's about 28, but that, and you add a hundred, another hundred million just to be conservative. So now it's at 180. And then their last thing is non-corporate revenue sources, which is just a, a very unexplained. They don't document this <laughs> at all. And that's $750 bil- million. Oh, wow. Dollars. So I bet the number is actually far greater five than to six <laughs> at least per time. And yeah. this is just right off the Heart Association's website donor page. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the USDA, right? Um, which is the United States Department of Agriculture. Some of our government recommendations have a lot to do with our agriculture as well. When they were founded, there were only two mandates. And one was to provide information to American to the American public about healthy eating. And two was to support and encourage the growth of American agricultural industry. So the four of the five top crops grown in America are going to be wheat, grain, corn, soy. So they're not going to tell the American to stop eating four out of the five. So their two mandates are not congruent. It was one of the major points of the film. If they were, they would the economy uh, would be significantly impact, but so would the health of Americans. Yeah. So they've pigeonholed themselves into perpetuating false information almost. So I looked it up. I'm on their website. All their top crops, top 10, descending popular order. Cattle is number one. Yeah. Two is corn. (laughs) Three is dairy. Four is soybeans. Five is broilers. What the heck are broilers? I don't know. They sound delicious. Uh, (laughs) Then you got six is miscellaneous crops. Seven is hogs. Eight is wheat. Yeah. Nine is chicken eggs. And 10 is hay. That's part of where some of this um, disconnect is. And last time we covered this, I feel like we, we talk about this topic or we have talked about it a good amount. It's not like you can't eat anything. The answer is there's a different way to eat that involves focusing on a different set of food groups as the majority. And what this documentary said is what you've been told about how you should avoid fat. And you've talked about this on the show before that we think or there's the, the misconception that by eating fat, we get fat. Which, right. Which isn't true. It's by eating certain foods that we produce more fat than our body needs. And that's the things that we've, you were just highlighting is those cash crops, USDA. Right. You know, Dr. Gundry goes into great detail about that lectin protein, which is a further insulin disruptor than even just some other regular carbohydrates, which is usually found in wheat, grain, and corn. Now, just to catch some of the viewers up who haven't heard past episodes, why do carbohydrates, why does this lectin protein, why do they make us fat? They cause insulin to fill up in the cell and then to overflow into the bloodstream and it has to be stored as fat. So type 2 diabetes comes from these types of foods. So when you remove that overinflux of insulin, cause uh, insulin rising causing foods, the cells can now stop overflowing into the bloodstream. And sometimes we could even tap in and use fat as a fuel storage, which is the whole point of a ketogenic diet. Uh, which there's a lot of controversy over that as well. And they touched on that in this documentary, but it wasn't like some of the other ones I saw that were all about keto. Yeah. Some of those, they feel like when you're watching them, it just feels like a little bit more far-fetched. Yeah. And this documentary felt pretty fair. Pretty balanced, yeah. yeah. Pretty balanced. They didn't seem like they had an agenda to take down something other yeah. than misinformation. My stance on the keto diet, I think it's a great way to jumpstart a health change. 
for some people, it may be sustainable. I think with all the social norms and in most people's environment, it's not sustainable. If it is good for you, I think there are some health benefits to it. I don't know of too many negatives or concerns outside from too much fat intake with gallbladder issues and things like that. For me, keto is not practical for what I want to do in my goals, but at least a drastic reduction in refined carbohydrate um, and carbohydrate in general is, is a better plan. Yeah, I like the way you say that. It's a good jump start. It's not a way of starving your body. Some people think, I'm just going to jump start my diet. I'm not going to eat and I'm going to work out really hard <laughs> and then make it three days. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody wants to try the keto diet, as long as there's no medical reason not to and they're under, they're making sure it's not harmful, I, I think it, it could be a positive thing. Do you have to fully commit to a ketogenic lifestyle your entire life to lose weight or not be diabetic? I don't think so. But if you are struggling with morbid obesity and you are a full-blown type 2 diabetic, it might be worth trying for a while. One guy had a guy off of 180 insulin units after two days. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, that one doctor that was, they portrayed him as going against the things that he should be telling his patients. Right. And he was having the attitude of, I don't really care. Like, I'm seeing these crazy results. And they yeah. followed some of his patients, and some of them were pretty crazy. And some of them seemed more like fair and balanced. There was like this... A uh, woman on there, and she'd been seeing him for a long time, and she was more of that slow and steady. And there was that great subplot with the nurse that felt like guilty giving people this terrible advice oh, yeah, yeah. and going against it. And then when they, when you said that they took cholesterol at the bad list, I think that was the thing that she was like, finally some progress. What she said was really compelling, and I think it was probably similar to what the doctor was seeing. Like we've been giving this recommended advice forever, and people sixty get years better. Yeah, and no, it doesn't work. And yeah. so I never put myself in the position of a professional until like a seeing that who is giving this bad advice yeah. and then feeling bad about it. She just didn't like her job. She yeah. was getting depressed. Like she didn't want to do it anymore. And then they found something that worked, yeah. which is. And do you remember Dr. Noakes who they threatened to take his license away for recommending a low carb diet to pregnant women? Oh, I don't. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they were going to just, whatever the word is, where you lose yeah. your license to practice medicine. That's really hard to, that insane? to not be like a little bit disenfranchised about it. Like you follow our rules that we made up with no scientific evidence <laughs> or you can't be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And I want to make sure that this episode doesn't come off as anti-doctor. That's not right. at all what In I'm fact, saying. In fact, the doctors were trying to give great advice and help people. That's what doctors do. But they're handcuffed by different limitations. And, and it may have been Dr. Noakes, but a long time ago, I used, to, I used to be a marathon runner not too long ago, and carbo-loading was a big thing, where you just gorge yourself with pastas and fill your glycogen stores so you yeah. have a great... Well, he was finding out this was toxic. And over time, these, this guy, this other guy who's running marathons, and he's like done hundreds of them and ultras and all kinds of stuff. He went, I started following this carbo-loading advice, and I started uh, actually gaining weight and getting slower. <laughs> And, the, and that other doctor, I think it was Dr. Noakes, he's like, I, I became type 2 diabetic. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? <gosh>. <laughs> Insane. So like we give it like a halfway cool sounding name, like carbo loading and pretend like eating a giant bowl of fettuccine Alfredo before running isn't a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> I, I don't uh, condone carbo loading for you runners out there. I don't think it's a great idea. It's pretty oxidative to the body and breaks down your joints and all kinds of stuff. You did a great job of taking a bunch of information, like you were saying, and boiling it down into a bite-sized chunk. Because there's so much, there's so much to this. There's so much science. There's so much background. 
And if you're not a doctor and you haven't went to school for this and you haven't spent tons of hours studying, it just, it gives you that overwhelming feeling of this is too much. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to not think about it. I'm just going to eat whatever tastes good. To boil it down, don't eat a ton of carbs. <laughs> <laughs> carbs can play a healthy role that uh, we just want to be better to select them carefully wheat grain corn soy dairy are not good sources but certainly some fruits vegetables uh, potatoes things like that are better options and having more protein and healthy fats in your diet is a great idea as well and it's going to differ per person what foods that is what their body responds to you know one other point that I, I really appreciated in the film was that creating a one pattern plan for an entire country was a huge mistake. Right. <laughs> we are all vastly different with vastly different circumstances and what works specifically for one person may not work at all for another. Yeah. So I don't think everybody should immediately go keto. Oh, carb reduction, probably a good idea, but no carb for most people, maybe not the best plan right now. I still have a hard time understanding or just changing my mindset to because the fat on the top is still like on the old food pyramid yeah, or the food tombstone as the movie <laughs> might call it. We were always told that you want to basically eliminate that, but it actually plays a good role in your body to get healthy fat. Yeah, yeah it absolutely does. And there is zero evidence. It has never been proven that saturated fat is correlated to heart disease. 10 times out of 10, the quickest way to heart disease is going to be insulin issues with high sugar, high carbohydrate foods. So we were talking, you said we we're going to talk a little bit about Ansel Keys. Can we talk a little bit about that? He was the guy that kind of started that understanding or that movement that saturated fat was the bad guy. Yeah, he had this hypothesis. And, and this uh, was like when? Like the 18, 1950s? 1950s? Okay. There's an interesting segment about Eisenhower. President Eisenhower, he had this heart attack and was out of office for 10 days. And that's what started this phenomenon of people trying to get to the bottom of heart disease. They thought it was smoking for a while because there was also a huge jump in smoking back then. And then Ansel Keys had this hypothesis that it was saturated fat. And one of the most debated pieces of evidence was this, scat, this uh, line plot of six different countries and he showed that the more fats ingested by those countries, the higher the rate of heart disease. And the reason it's so uh, controversial is there were actually 22 countries he studied, and he only picked the information from six or seven of those countries. And he left out things like Germany and France, who had much higher saturated fat intake than the U.S. and only half the heart attack rate. Uh, so that's where a lot of controversy and anger over his research comes from is he cherry-picked the data. And even more damning, decades later, they discovered there was another piece of research done using mental hospital patients, mm -hmm. which not ethical today, but back then because it was controlled what they were eating all the time. They actually proved that increases in the non-saturated fat types of oils like margarine, in addition to the increase of wheat grain breads and sugars, actually created a higher mortality rate. And they chose to disclude that, and that's science fraud. Because it was uh, contrary to what their initial hypothesis was, they never published that research. A really big deal. There was also a, a storyline about another doctor who was publishing some stuff that went against what Ansel Keys was saying, right? Yeah, in England. His name was... John Yudkin. Something like that sounds about right. And uh, But he was actually 
basically bullied out of out of public graces by Ansel Keys and some of the industries that were supported by his theories. Yeah, they said he was a very charismatic, kind of winsome type personality that was very good at convincing people. Yeah. Yeah. His life was pretty much destroyed by Keys after he came out with that information. There was a there's some other stuff mentioned right around that time in the movie too about how certain industries, one here I see in your notes, the sugar industry was paid uh, $50,000 to publish two articles stating that saturated fat, not sugar, caused heart disease. <laughs> I'm sorry. So they paid a big amount of money to the company of the standard to benefit from the statement being true to do a study. And I air quoted that. You can't see that because we're a podcast. Yeah. To do a study that would say, hey, they're the bad guy, not us. <laughs> Unbelievable. So that perpetuated this dogma that 60 years later, people are still confused about. And I think the reason that we're still confused about it, if if we just boil it all the way back, is that a lot of people stand to continue to make a lot of money if this continues to be misunderstood. Yep. And it's not like new companies wouldn't rise up to fill the void in the market. We could change the way we eat and other foods would become popular and we'd be fine as a country. Yeah. But there are certain... There are certain crops, there are certain drug companies that yeah. are going to continue to make a ton of money if things don't change. Yeah, especially the drug companies. now, uh, Which aren't listed as drug companies on the ADA, <laughs> on, the, on the health website there. Yeah. They're, uh, <laughs> now, one of the most, what stood out to me from that entire film uh, was that it was always meant to believe that if you have type 2 diabetes, it's chronic, it's irreversible, and it's just progressive. But that is absolutely not the truth. It's only the truth if you continue following the guidelines uh, set by the ADA, AHA, and things like that. But I've personally had many clients reverse it without um, medical intervention. If, or if they were on insulin, they've reduced units or got off completely with right. their doctor's supervision. We have our disclaimer in our show, but, but it's just amazing. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not meant to be used as medical advice. Consult your doctor before implementing any health or exercise changes. The Fire Within encourages you to do your own research and aims to spark interest and motivation to a healthier lifestyle. Now, if you had a, here's a great analogy. If you had a baseball team that had lost every single game for 60 solid years, do you think you'd change something? The coach, the, <laughs> the lineup, something, right? We've been following this advice for 60 years and have increased our obesity rate, heart disease rate, and mortality rate year after year. And they're still standing by reduced saturated fat in, in the diet. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Because they can't say, sorry, we were wrong for the last 60 years because they'll lose all credibility. So we're talking about some of the people, like I go back to that woman or the guy that reversed his, got off his insulin in an absurdly short amount of time. Could you just break down what their new diet looks like? Because I think a lot of people might be like, a lot of people's rejection of ideas like this are, I'm not going to eat cardboard and crap that doesn't taste good. Yeah, so if they're following that ketogenic approach, it's going to be lots of meats, healthy fats, avocados and oils and nuts and things like that. So their breakfast, and and keto typically includes dairy. I, I don't like dairy for various reasons, but if including it for somebody helps them 
reverse type 2 diabetes and lose 120 pounds, I'm for it. I have my optimal ideas of what nutrition is. I think it would be tough to follow my recommendations in addition to keto recommendations. I I think it'd be pretty tough. But if you're following a keto diet and you're not worried about lectin proteins and A1 casein and some of the things I have concerns about, you would have, you know, a couple eggs with some cheese, salsa, avocados, bacon as a breakfast. And you're not- A delicious omelet. Yeah. And you are not hungry on the keto diet. You're almost never hungry. I have a very good friend and, and former client that's lost 50, 60 pounds. He doesn't know when to eat. He's like, I'm not hungry. He can miss two meals and it doesn't even bother him. And he's great. He's got energy. He looks and awesome. That has a lot to do with the when you eat a food that's rich in a healthy fat, mm-hmm. you are satiated. In other words, you don't have that hunger thing like when you eat. The big joke is always Chinese food, right? You, yeah. You're hungry an hour later. Exactly. Or, and it's just a bunch of Things that don't fill you up. And, and an incredible analogy I really appreciated from, from the documentary was that it's like kindling. So high carbohydrate foods and sugars, they burn really bright and fast and quick, but then they burn out. So I used to make fires all the time when I was a Boy Scout. Loved right. it. I get the toilet paper to burn or the pine straw to burn. No problem with my little spark kit, but I couldn't get the sticks and the logs and things to light. So fat is going to be like those logs. It doesn't burn as quick. It takes longer to get going, but it's going to burn all night for hours and hours instead of two minutes. Pine straw goes up in seconds. So carbohydrates are the pine straw. Fat is the logs. It's going to give you sustainable energy. And ketogenic diet is called that because uh, when we start burning fats for energies, we get something called ketones. And they give us that long, sustainable energy. So that could be a breakfast. They may have cabbage soups. There may be some vegetables, not as you won't see rice or grains or or potatoes or beans or anything like that. That's going to be higher carbohydrate for a a keto diet. So they're going to leave those out. But so maybe for lunch, it'll have like deli meat with avocado-based mayonnaise or something and do roll-ups, lots of tuna, lots of almond butters, peanut butters, things like that. And then for dinner, cauliflower is a big vegetable because that they'll go to because it doesn't it's starchy. So it kind of fulfills that carbohydrate, a starching requirement that people like to have with their meals. They'll do a lot of asparagus as a vegetable, and typically they'll have a pretty large portion of uh, cod, salmon, whatever the protein may be. But they're not going to have potatoes, rice, things like that. Typically don't need a lot of snacks, but there's a lot of really cool companies out there that are providing keto-based snacks and desserts that have sugar-free based syrups and things like that. The keto snack that perplexes me the most is bulletproof coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's um, meant to, so I'm, I'm looking it up here. It says it's meant to replace like a breakfast, but essentially it's like rich coffee and you put some unsalted grass-fed butter in that joker. <laughs> so the founder, let's see if I can find his name here. Was he in? He was in the documentary, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's in. He did, They do a little blurb with them. Very interesting. Dave Asprey. Yep. So he had lost like 100 pounds, basically going on a keto-type diet, and then went to Tibet to start meditating. And he's in this really high altitude, feeling like crap. And one of the Tibetan people gives him this like yak butter tea. And uh, he went from feeling like crap to feeling amazing. And then he continued drinking the yak butter tea for 22 days and felt like he completely got his life back and had all kinds of energy and felt amazing. Um, And then he went to start Bulletproof Coffee and take that same idea and instead of tea, doing it with coffee. Um, And I really like the brand. I think the ingredients he uses are great. It's all sustainably grass-fed, properly done organic. I've done it a couple of times. And I'll tell you, it does have an appetite suppressant 
Effect. feeling to yeah for yeah. sure it's oh that's rich and yeah. i like coffee yeah who doesn't like butter <laughs> they're a weird combo together yeah. in my opinion but it's not a bad combo yeah it's not it wasn't my favorite i didn't like the buttery film it felt was happening on my yeah i, I did the coconut oil the butter and the cinnamon yeah. is what i tried it once um but uh, no, a lot of people love it. I'm for it if you enjoy it. Now, personally, I wouldn't want to do dairy, so I'd probably opt for the coconut uh, oil, unless you can find uh, New Zealand-based cows, which don't have that A1K scene, but that's a whole other episode. Um, and if we're talking about getting your life back, losing hundreds of pounds and not being diabetic, you may not care as much about A1K scene right now. So it's not always about being perfect, but I do think it's something I would prefer to avoid. We mentioned it, like taking things with a grain of salt in the beginning. This gentleman went off to the mountains to meditate. He was probably in a really stressful situation trying to escape something to go meditate with monks. <laughs> and then he spends like 20 days in the mountains meditating. And he's it's got to be this tea. This tea has done it for me. <laughs> it might have had something to do with the life-changing, life-altering trip and all the meditation. And But the tea was there. That's yeah, good. the tea was there. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's okay. People want to do that, go for it. Lots of people are being doing. I'll tell you, I enjoyed well it more than it. I thought I would. The bulletproof coffee. Yeah, I really expected it to be disgusting. Yeah, and it wasn't disgusting. I kind of get it. Good deal. Now, mine wasn't my favorite. It wasn't impalatable, but I like my pure, unadulterated coffee. I have my own grinder. I grind fresh beans, and I just do it black. So essentially, what they had in the mountains there was the same, similar approach, but with tea. I wonder if that would be better. I wonder if I would like that better. I don't know. He did say it wasn't great in the tea. He said he could drink it, <laughs> but he felt amazing, so he didn't care. And then Bulletproof makes all kinds of flavored, like uh, MCT oil-based uh, additives you can put in your coffee. We're not endorsed by Bulletproof, but uh, decent products. I really like their collagen snack bars. If you're trying to find a bar, the Bulletproof uh, bars are pretty good. Yeah, and you can find all their stuff on Bulletproof.com. You can see that they got uh, cold brew stuff. It's like their big seller right now, it looks like. And proteins. They have proteins now. Yeah. And then Bulletproof, you could send your endorsement check to. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Now, something else I found really interesting. The lower carb approach was compared to bariatric surgery and showed to have the same effectiveness. And what exactly is bariatric surgery? That's where they cut out part of your, your stomach or your intestines or something like that to lessen the amount of food you can eat. So you can't eat as much. Okay. But most of the time... What's the name that I usually hear for that? Bypass. Gastric bypass. Gastric bypass, yeah. yeah. Stomach staple or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that. So the problem with that is none of them actually affect the problem, which is insulin. And people are still going to prefer those foods, and they're not going to change their behaviors. And there's an addictive quality to carbohydrates and sugar, as we know. Which brings me to, to uh, another point. The documentary was discussing how did... We have this explosion of processed foods with lots of sugar. As they started cutting saturated fats out of foods, they had to replace it so it was palatable with something. And first they started with sugar and they went, oh my God, now this stuff's addictive. Yeah, let's pump more of that crap. Now we have snack wells and Nabisco and all kinds of garbage. I think one of the themes throughout the movie too that you've talked about it on the show, but it's worth repeating. It's the idea that we get in trouble when we use medicine to treat food issues. Because what you were just saying is like... Just covering up the symptom. You cover up the symptom. You can, in extreme cases, use surgery to yeah. treat a symptom. But you're not, you're not addressing the core problem, which is, in this case, the way you eat is causing these sicknesses. Right. And, to, and that goes back again to the cynical side of me thinking like, 
all these companies stand to benefit from the drugs. And so how bad would it be if people realized, like, you don't need the drugs if you change the way you eat? Right. Now, it's hard. People don't like to change their lifestyle. Yeah, and like, that's not an easy thing. Yeah. Like, it's not just change the way you eat. Like, yeah. that's not easy. Yeah, and the other side of the spectrum is most patients are not willing to significantly alter their lifestyle. So then the doctor's faced with, do I offer the medication or do I just let them die? We agree. Like, the yeah. doctors aren't the bad people in the scenario at all because their job is to be well. And if they're not going to deal with the thing that's causing them to be sick, the next best option is to help them with drugs. Yeah, and that's the only tool they have in their tool belt. Right. Unless they have significant background in in dietary changes and behavior change. They only see their patient for seven minutes, and seven minutes is not enough time to elicit behavior change. Yeah. Uh, That's where finding a coach and other means, different circle of friends and things like that can help. Where are you going to hire me? Yeah. They also talked, and we, we mentioned this on the show before, about how many people are failing the, the qualification for the Army because of obesity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was very fascinating. So for the first time, would they say 20? I don't remember the percentage. Yeah, there's a large percentage, but 20, I think it was 20% of recruits aren't able to join because of obesity. Uh, so they're literally, in the words of the Army themselves, they're too fat to fight. And then they get in the Army. And they're following the, the ADA recommendations in the Army's food plan. Right. And they're not slimming down even though they're exercising and working out. Right, because there's pasta and grains and all kinds uh-huh. of stuff. And so that one soldier who was flying Apache helicopters, he was starting to get dizzy and, and not able to fly the craft. Right. And they, they actually recommended psychiatric evaluation for, for anxiety and never bothered to look at his diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and he stumbled onto the solution. I don't remember exactly how, but he started making his own food. And then he actually turned it into a business. He was making these really healthy soups, I believe it yeah, was. Yeah, keto soups, lots of cabbage. I bet it's gassy. He completely reversed everything. Now, I really, something that re- resonated with me strongly was him saying there were years of his life with his family he doesn't remember because he was so out of it because of the foods he was eating. And in my story and how I lost 84 pounds, there was an entire year of my life with, with my ex-wife at the time that I don't recall because of uh, how bad my eating patterns and insomnia were. That time, do you think anybody, like I'm imagining somebody listening to this, and how would you know that you're in that state? Could somebody have helped you in that state, and what would it have taken? I think it's in hindsight. The moment for me was uh, looking back at pictures and her explaining events, and I had no recollection of the events. Even looking at the pictures, I'm like, I don't remember any of this. But the way it affects memory and your awareness of what's going on in your life and your ability to be present, I think, is drastically reduced when you're eating tons of wheat grain, corn, sugar, soy, dairy, and you have these insulin spikes and crashes. And the other thing it's going to do is it's going to turn you into a tyrant. You're going to be angry all the time. Because it messes with your body's hormones. It's also insulin spikes like that. That's a stress response. That's kicking in fight or flight hormones, adrenaline, norepinephrine. So you're going to get in spousal arguments if you're married. We're just, we're, I'm getting married in a couple of weeks here. Mm-hmm. Love you, Michelle. <laughs> and we had our first group counseling class. And one of the questions was, what are some of your faults from past relationships that you don't want to bring into this one? And my biggest regret for mine was just my inability to curb my temper and just shout and get angry. Um, and part of that was the insomnia, because when you don't sleep, it cuts off the amygdala from the prefrontal cortex of your brain. So the prefrontal cortex, that's the newer thing that developed that made us less primitive, that allows us uh, to make better decisions and and analyze things. Mm -hmm. When that 
when you lose that connection, you're in primitive mode and anything can set you off. So that was a big part, but also those spikes and, and drops in blood sugar from the insulin. Also, Dr. Kelly Dorfman's done incredible research on gluten and some of the other wheat grain and corn type foods on how they affect bipolar disorder, attention deficit disorder, and things like that as well. So I think being aware of the problem really helps. Know that it's a thing that you struggle with, and so you're cognizant of it. But how much of it, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you think that your temper is better now that you've lost the weight and you've adapted a much more healthy lifestyle? And two, do you have an idea of like how much of it is because of the healthy lifestyle and how much is it because you know the problem and you're actively working on it? I do think they're both at play, but yes, it's better. I haven't blown up in a relationship in over five years. I remember the last one and shortly later, I think we got divorced. It hasn't happened since. I mean, it was around that time. I lost about 84 pounds, blah, 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 and started changing the way I eat. I ate. But those spikes and crashes are a huge component of it. I do think awareness and working on it helps in, in starting to recognize the patterns that cause that. I did, in addition to all my nutrition research, I did read into relationship stuff and, and started to, to understand things. Right. Um, yeah, being able to notice a pattern is fantastic for any kind of struggle that we have, whether it be temper or fill in the blank or whatever your thing is. Because it helps you realize in that moment when you're doing the dumb thing that you shouldn't be doing it, you take a breath and you're like, all right, am I in the pattern and should I just give it a break? Yeah. And when I do cheat more and Michelle can attest to this, she does notice a difference in my nature. That pendulum swings pretty quickly right. uh, back in the opposite direction. Huh. Uh, so if we have a big Mexican meal or something and, yeah. and we're having the corn tortillas and the cheese and all the things, and then I have a beer or two, so now I got wheat grain, a lot of that wheat influence, you know, my behavior starts to see that change, even within just a meal or two yeah. of, of getting off track. If you're sitting there thinking and you're being cynical and thinking, how in the world can food play a big role in your personality. Isn't your personality just your personality? I would challenge you to think it's another way of saying how in the world can stuff I put into my body affect my mood? Well, if you're taking <laughs> mood medication, like then you obviously believe that what you put into your body <laughs> affects your mood. Right. It can't, it, it's information telling your body what to do, what hormones to create and, and what amounts, uh, what increases and decreases. It's literally instructions. It's an instruction manual sent to your body for all the cells, what are they going to do? And it's very much like medicine in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They also hit on this idea that we've talked about on the show a lot in the documentary that counting calories is not as simple as calories in versus calories burned. Exactly. And I think that's a lot of the mentality behind some of what I feel are, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but isn't this kind of the approach behind what Weight Watchers is? Like the amount of calories you bring in versus the amount of calories that they, you burn? No, they've drastically uh, renovated how they do things. Oh, I, I thought I heard something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I think Weight Watchers does an okay job now. It's much better than it was. Okay, good. Because it used to be, I have 35 points, so I'm not going to eat all day so I can eat the Snickers. But they've corrected that. And I do think that support system, I'm, I'm fine with Weight Watchers, as long as other principles are being evaluated. But now, uh, remember, the key to weight gain is that spike in insulin. Uh, so remember, fat has no spike in insulin. It's virtually undetectable. So if you eat 1,000 calories of avocado versus 1,000 calories of cereal, you're going to see uh, dramatically different results in how it's going to impact uh, fat gain. And so the, the movie is called Fat Fiction. It's busting all these myths. Another myth that it hit on was this idea that exercise more, eat less. 
they hit on the fact that's not a good approach. Right. Uh, Which I think most people today probably would still agree. That's what you should do. Right. Now, if you're not exercising at all, then yeah, you should probably exercise. And, <laughs> and uh, if you're eating 4,000 calories a day and most yeah. of it's coming from carbohydrates, you probably eat less. So, I think it goes so, again to that rubber stamp idea you were talking. Like there's not like one simple formula that works for right. everybody. Exercise more, eat less doesn't work if you exercise all the time. <laughs> and, and half of my weight loss clients actually didn't see progress until we added three to 500 calories to their diet because they were eating too little and their body was suppressing that weight loss mechanism. So I would say the actual formula would be exercise correctly for your body and eat correctly for your body. We want to take into consideration other health complications. There's no one formula that works for everybody. Yeah. I remember when watching this movie, I was sitting there thinking, this sounds like all the stuff Brandon talks about on his show. And so I really wanted you to check it out. See yeah. what you thought on it. Yeah, it was badass. And, and I think there's a lot of good ones out there that have some good advice. But this is the first one I've ever seen where I didn't feel like any of the information given was questionable. I've seen plenty of documentation and research over the years to support. I always encourage people to do their own research. Don't just listen to this show and go, oh, that's absolute fact and that's my dogma. We learn things all the time. Feel free to do your own research. Be sure to... Uh, I almost hesitate to say this, but talk to your doctor before <laughs> making any changes. There's a lot of good doctors out there, but or this show is not meant to give medical advice, but to empower you to uh, do some research and make some changes. I have to imagine a doctor would love some patient of them in, to be willing to completely alter their diet, but I doubt that's the majority of patients that come in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm, most doctors would be excited and ecstatic and be like, great, here's what you should eat. Like. Yeah. Maybe I've had even family members, even though they know what I do and they know the track record and they've seen me. And when I talk to them about making changes themselves, I always get, I've ate like this for so long. I'm just not willing to do it. I think that's got to be most people's mentality. It's not that we don't know. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like, man, if people just knew what I knew, then they would do what I do, which isn't really true. It has to be... It's a good first step. Yes. It has to come from somewhere else. It has to be, you use the word a lot, intrinsically motivated. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to overcome that hold and addiction of sugars and carbohydrates. Remember, it's more addictive than crack cocaine in laboratory studies with mice, at least. So I don't know. I'd be interested to... No, I don't think it would be ethical to test that on humans, so we'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) And a great place to start, and you mentioned this before, is make a better decision. Yeah. Like, don't worry about changing absolutely everything at once. Make a better decision the next time you have a decision to make. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's another plan I hear a lot about that I'm actually a huge fan of. It's it's very close to how I would recommend eating called Whole30. Okay. Um, I've heard of that one. Yeah. I've seen like cookbooks. Yeah, I think um, that's a good start. And if you just wanted to look at one approach to get a jump start, I like that. Now, their whole thing is instead of, you know, instead of finding better ways to eat the things you enjoy, it's just to have a better relationship with food. So there's no keto, key lime pie and things like that. It's a little bit less fun, but I think there's a lot of benefits there. And I think it does help some of those hormonal addictions to things. I, I'm more moderate. I like to cheat sometimes. I like to enjoy some things as long as I could meet all my health goals and do it. So some people, they can't allow themselves those liberties. I think there's different approaches for different people, but there's always going to be the same facts that I think uh, stand out for everybody. Wheat grain, corn, soy, dairy are probably not good for your health, uh, especially corn syrup. And minimizing those things are going to make a big difference. So I'm reading this interesting study 
um, about millennials in their reason to change their diet. And it seems like about 20% of millennials have changed their diet. And the, the motivating factor is to reduce their impact on the environment. And so diets like whole food diet or paleo or raw diet are actually much better for the environment. And that is causing about 20% of millennials to change the way they eat. Wow. How about that? That's interesting. With the one caveat being, I think like almonds are actually adding to pollution (laughs) because of the amount of, I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever get it right, but I'm a fan of almonds. I just hate for whoever has to milk all those. (laughs) Can you imagine milking an almond just one at a time? Tiny hands. Tiny hands. (laughs) (laughs) So in conclusion, I, I felt like this was an extremely informative documentary. I think it's gives a strong case for at least lowering carbohydrate intake. Maybe in extreme cases, consider the ketogenic approach. Um, I personally, for most people, I don't know that's a sustainable approach given their social norms and everything surrounding them. If it was them in a bubble, I think most people would do fine with that. I know for me, when I got the heaviest that I'd been, I went keto with my wife for 90 days and saw pretty drastic results, like 20 plus pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most people do very well and see quick results. If that's not uh, something you're into, that's fine. Uh, I I prefer a slower approach that's more sustainable. That's not to say keto is not sustainable for some people. Some people have done it for over a decade. And there is evidence to support maybe that's how we were supposed to eat anyway. The other kind of, another takeaway is saturated fat's not harmful. You should be eating saturated fat and vegetable oils and some of the other, I'll just call them fake fats and processed fats that are they're horrible for you. Does that mean that in the majority of cases when you see a boxed food item that says it's low fat, that you should avoid it? Stay the heck away from it, yeah. You know, they put a heart-healthy check mark on freaking Fruit Loops! Fruit Loops! <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for your heart, I promise. Yeah, so definitely not good choices. So lower carbohydrate, eat the healthy fats, look into keto. If you're struggling or have a major health crisis, it might be really helpful for you. And if you have type 2 diabetes, there's a really good chance some dietary intervention could really help. I don't think it's always chronic and something you can't reverse. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.